0: In this episode of Boss
1: Files, I think it's healthy and productive to have the right conversation with your leader, mm-hmm. with your manager, um, to say what do I need to do to be in a position to be considered for that. I would say you have to be, uh, you have to recognize and be be ready for the answer.
2: Beth Ford, the newly appointed CEO of Lando Lakes and the first woman ever to run the company, from detasseling corn for two bucks an hour to the C-suite. Ford also makes history in another way. She's the first openly gay woman to run a Fortune 500 company.
1: My aspiration, obviously, was to be the CEO. The fact that that um, I'm openly gay, or that I have my spouse as a woman, and I have these children, is just part of my life. I didn't suddenly make an announcement. The announcement was that I was being named as CEO. The announcement was not around the other uh, parts of my life. But obviously, there was much um, recognition about this. So, what does it mean? I've heard from so many people. You know, it is. It, it's very emotional. It's, you know, and it's not just the LGBTQ community. It is just people on their normal life saying thank you for being your authentic self.
2: Plus, what the Trump administration's tariffs mean for their farmers. Here's my conversation with Beth Ford. Beth, thanks for doing this. Thanks for asking. And congratulations. Thank you on the new gig. So, uh, full disclosure here, we're friends from we from the great state of Minnesota. It, Minnesota, the, the land of. Well, they say 10,000 lakes, but let's agree. That there's a lot of lakes of everything. <laughs> exactly. There are a lot of lakes, and we met at the Fortune Most Powerful Women's Summit years ago. And I remember saying, "You're going to be CEO of Land of Lakes one day." And I know a lot of people said that to you, uh, but now you are. Yeah, well, can you believe that? Yeah, can you I, believe
1: that? Well, it's it's exciting. It's exciting. It was. I certainly hope for it. I think Land Lakes is a special company, a special place, and. Um, and I feel very fortunate to be there and have to been selected to, to be the new leader.
2: This is a long way from your first job in your home state of Iowa, mm-hmm. detasseling corn. That's right. It gave me relevance for the farmers.
1: <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> the farmers. But, you know, I came from very. For two large, bucks an hour? Yeah, uh, two bucks an hour. I uh, came from a family of uh, eight children, mm-hmm. um, and it was very common. In the summer, you would uh, jump onto a school bus at five or five thirty in the morning, and you go out and you detassel corn. What,
2: what is detasseling corn? Yeah, you're
1: going through the line. You're getting through the. You're you're detasseling and you know.
2: taking it off. But yeah, but now,
1: of course, a lot of that is automated. Sure. Um, but back then, two dollars an hour—that was real money.
2: You are also making history as the first female CEO of Lando Lakes. Mm-hmm. Extra weight on your shoulders. I don't think I'd
1: look at it that way. I think the board um, was looking forward and and looking uh, at the the team and the performance of the business. I think what is consistent when you make these kinds of transitions is they look and say, is the performance um, where we expect it? And if so, are there internal candidates who would be best positioned to to move the company forward to what is next and strategically? And, um, you know... I, when you when you take over a role like this, when you say extra weight, it's really about the team. It's not about you individually, and I think that that uh, that has allowed me to, or you know, the fact that I've been in business for 32 years has allowed me to see that. So it's not me individually; it is my mm-hmm. team and. Um, so I, I don't necessarily say, boy, there's, this is weighty because I'm the first woman to yeah. lead this organization. Rather, I say the team is well-positioned um, to move the company forward, and I think the board saw that.
2: Let's talk a little bit about what it was like growing up, Beth Ford. As you said, one of eight kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, bless your parents, by the I way, for that. <laughs> um, your dad was a truck driver. Your yeah. mom was a nurse, a therapist, and a minister. Yeah. A- and again, they were both parents to eight children. What was it like growing up in your house? Um, it was busy.
1: Um, you know we were we were very much like everybody else in our neighborhood. It was, we were kind of a working class family. My mom um, is uh, my father has since passed. My mother is still with us. Um, I think just strong, resilient woman. Um, you have 8 mouths to feed. Um, I think that there was expectations set but just a lot of love um, from from my, my parents, from my mom. Um, with that idea that you could do anything you set your mind to, which is terrific. Busy. I shared a room with my three sisters. Um, you know, you'd have one oscillating fan in the summer. You hope to. I know all about that. I grew up
2: in a house without central air. Exactly. And the Minnesota summers and the Iowa summers are really hot.
1: They really are. And my mom, even to this day, doesn't really like to use air conditioning. So she'd say, "Jump in the shower and then get in front of the fan." And she still just like that. When I go visit her, I'm like, "I need to turn the air up, mom." <laughs> um, you know, so it was. It was. It was. I guess chaotic, but a good chaos. Uh, I feel fortunate. Um, while we didn't have a lot, you know, when we had to work for what we, what we did have, um, I think that that was the greatest blessing, um, really. I, I worry sometimes about my own children.
2: I was just going to say that. Like, you have three kids, I have you have three, three teenagers, mm-hmm. um, and you're CEO, mm-hmm. and, you know, now you're wealthy because of your work and you didn't grow up that way, how do you make sure your kids have a semblance of a quote-unquote normal upbringing when they could have so much? Yeah, I don't know that I'll say I'm wealthy.
1: I'm certainly more well-to-do than my parents were. you know, that's a, a setting expectations, isn't it? And I admit it. I think, you know, I still have old movies in my head. The times that you showed up, you didn't have quite the right thing to wear yeah. or it felt hard or you didn't get to have the cool vacation or things like that. And so that's always a movie playing in my head. And, of course, I want to experience some of those things and I want the, my children to experience it. But you have to set Guidelines and um, talk about what is expected. And I think mm-hmm. even though we didn't have a lot growing up, my mom would always say to me, Do you understand the expectation I have of you?
2: Right. I mean, she would say to you, I was reading, You know, you, you, like, do you know how? How lucky you are, right. and because of that, what is expected of you?
1: That's exactly right. I can remember this because we didn't have a lot, and I've used this. I've talked about this with my mother. Mm-hmm. In Thanksgiving, we would go out to visit a family who was financially challenged. Now we didn't have a lot, right? Right. Um, but she, we'd bring over Thanksgiving turkey and things like that. And I remember going to this one particular apartment, and it was it wasn't in a, a very nice area, and um, this mom came and got this stuff and the kids were running around and they were just kind of running around the house in their you know underwear and stuff and I said what's going on there I saw their clothes over there and she said that's their one their one outfit and then she looked at me and she's smaller you know I'm very tall I'm six feet and and she said do you understand what is expected of you? do you understand how much you have? don't disappoint and I was like I've got to work hard to not disappoint but I think she did that in the gentle, direct way, which you know, while we may not have everything, we have enough, mm-hmm. and um, given
2: what we have, much is expected of us. Your mom also uh, gave you a key piece of advice that you talk about a lot, and that is, she said to you, Beth, if you want something, ask for it. That's right. So, did you ask to be CEO? I certainly made it known that I
1: wanted um, that role. Yes, um, I think. You know, coming and saying, geez, gee, I hope I can or I hope I won't. I I just I just think being more direct is appropriate. Um, I certainly articulated that with Chris uh, Polisinski, our uh, past CEO. I think he was well aware that that was an aspiration of mine Mm -hmm. and that I wanted to achieve that at Land O'Lakes. Because there is a school of thought. Head down, do your work, and these things will come to you. I don't think it's an either or. Right. Um, certainly, I have to be driving performance. Right. To be in position to get that role, um, but I think you know that if you if you add that last comment where you say and then it will come to you, I think that that's part in my own experience, part of the challenge for women in general. That would be my view. You know that you expect you're going to be recognized yeah. because you've done the hard work, and that isn't actually how it always happens.
2: So, do we as women uh, with High career aspirations need to. Would you advise us to raise our hands more and make it very clear we want this? We're going to keep head down and work hard, but, but by the way, we want this. Yeah, I think it's. I think
1: it's healthy and productive to have the right conversation with your leader, mm-hmm. with your manager, um, to say what do I need to do to be in position to be considered for that. I would say you have to be. Uh, you have to recognize and be be ready for the answer. Okay. Because what if the organization or what if that leader doesn't see you in that position? Um, and so you can say, well, what do I need to work on? And you know, so sometimes it, it might not feel very good with the, right. the response to it. What do I need? What do I need to work on to be putting myself in that position? I think it's a gift. I would prefer um, that I be told, you know, that's not. Were you, have achieve. you ever been, Beth? No, I've been fortunate not to be told that. Um, but uh, but I certainly have I have had situations where I didn't get a job. I mean, that's there have been times that in my career, growing, uh, going through the corporate ladder, that I thought I wanted a particular role. What job oh. didn't
2: you get? Well, oh. mm-hmm.
1: uh, I, uh, um, I, I would say that it was probably earlier in my career at Mobile Oil. Okay. Um, there were some positions that I thought I aspired to, and it was very early. I mean, when you're in your 20s to 30s, yep. you're building your experience. Um, and there were times that I was up against other folks and, and did not um, receive that, mm-hmm. that role. Um, now I reflect back and think that that was probably appropriate. And, oh, interesting. And, yeah, I mean, I think in some, t- some instances, I would say that it probably wasn't uh, ready for the role or, and or um, even if I was, in the end, it probably wasn't right for mm-hmm. what I wanted to do in the future, and mm-hmm. so things eventually
2: evolve. Why is it that? I mean, if you look at just what's happened in the past year, year and a half, the number of women leading Fortune 500 companies has dropped significantly between last year and this year. You've had five, you know, CEOs, female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies stepping down, Campbell Soup CEO, Denise Morrison, Hewlett Packard, uh, Enterprise CEO Meg Whitman, Irene Rosenfeld, Mondelez. um, You also have Avon, Sherry McCoy. uh, You know, you have Internewey at Pepsi. are you concerned about what we're seeing? Well, I mean, some of those are normal transitions. But they're being replaced by men. Yes.
1: Um, I think it's a, a terrific opportunity um, when you have a woman right behind the, the woman uh, as CEO. We saw that at um, Xerox. That's right. Um, you know, I- am I concerned about it? First of all, some of those are normal transitions. Sure. But I think that they're highlighted even more directly because they're of the few number of women that are in the CEO's mm-hmm. um, position. Yeah. Um, you know the. The thing that I would say is you we need to have more women in the pipeline who have been running line businesses um, that have the experience to position themselves to be considered as a candidate for the
2: CEO role. Whose job is that to make sure those women are in the pipeline? You, you've said part of it is on us to raise our hands more and the to try- go for those jobs that put us in the pipeline for the you know the C-suite. Mm-hmm. Um, but I vividly remember Meg Whitman telling me, you know, five plus years ago about women on boards and, and a- a- HP has been, um, uh, you know, they have, I think, half their board or so is women. I mean, they have been intentional about this. And she said to me, and I'm paraphrasing your Poppy, maybe it's harder, maybe it takes more work to find those women, but you just have to do the work. You just have to make sure they're there. So who does it fall on? Well, this is a shared responsibility. I'm a
1: big believer in you. I need to take uh, responsibility for my actions and for the selections I make. Um, sometimes that has meant moving my family moving um to a different company Mm -hmm. those are the that's the case but it's also the company's responsibility um and we spend a lot of time at landa looking at talent development um in partnership with our hr team but also the business student leaders we spend a significant amount of time on talent review trying to say what is you know that is individual is high potential Mm -hmm. let's continue to evolve their career let's move them over here um let's pay attention let's give them different projects and um I think that it is a shared responsibility um, not to assume, mm-hmm. you know, I have been in organizations where there may be an assumption or I've been in conversations with, with, oh, well, we're not sure, not necessarily, we're not sure that she would be willing to do that. You know, she has a family, she may not oh. want to move.
2: And I, you know, I'm like, Can you well, imagine them, by the way, saying that about a dad? N-
1: no. Although I will say that many young men now, are there with that conversation. I think that they, you know, I've, I've had uh, folks who've worked for me um, in their 20s and 30s where they had a child that had, um, you know, challenges, mm-hmm. or they, they needed to be near their parents, um, where the young man um, or young woman or young professional decided that that just didn't work for their family
2: at that moment. But I think men are sometimes, and I wonder if you see it this way, applauded. Because I see it in my own husband, who is very much an equal parent for our two children. And, uh, you know, I could not be doing this job were he not that. But it's sort of like he's applauded for going to his management and saying, I can't do that because of the kids. I can't do that. Whereas I do feel, you know, and here I have a very supportive environment where that is not an issue at all for me to say that. But I don't know, are men treated differently when they say? I think think it's a really good
1: uh, insight. Yeah. I think it's still that still is probably the case. A little bit more difficult for women to say, "Hey, I, I'm not going to be right. um, able to be there for this meeting because I'm going to be there." Now, I, I've said this before. You know, every move I've made in my career, and you know, I've worked for seven companies, six yep. industries. I've been very specific and direct with saying my family is my priority and at times I want to take my children to the bus and I have to move or I have to leave early for something and um, and then especially as I've moved to more senior roles I um, I do that and I think it provides a level of confidence for younger uh, professionals Mm -hmm. especially women that they can do the same thing that that's okay that that's not going to be a reflection on them as a professional because you say deliberately
2: I cannot be here because I want to be with that's my right. children. That's right? right. And I try to do that, too. I'm sorry, I can't make it tonight because I want to put my children to bed. That's right. And, and and isn't it important for us to be able to say and to say that? It's not, I have to be home. No. I'm making this choice.
1: That's it. I, that's it. And I, I want that for my family. I want that for my children. I want that for myself. I want that for me. I, that's right. I mean, I, 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 don't, I want to be selfish about this. I mean, you know. I have three children, I'm, I'm so blessed to have them. Um, I don't want the, to wake up and have them be 20 and they're out of the house and I'm like, what What the heck happened, I don't know them. I want them to know me and, and I want to spend time when it's important to spend time with them.
2: More from my interview with Lando Lakes CEO, Beth Ford, after the break. Let's talk about your vision for Lando Lakes. Mm-hmm. Now you have the top seat. Mm-hmm. You've made history getting it as the first woman. Um, where do you want to take this company, Beth? You know,
1: I, I like to think Land Lakes kind of sneaks up on people, right? You know this. But it's more Minnesota. than the butter it and the is. cheese every, that we know, buy. Every place I go, everybody said, "Boy, we love your butter." And I was like, "Yes, I love that you love the butter. It is—it's the number one brand in butter, and we're proud of it." Um, but Land Lakes has their dairy business, and we have Vermont Creamery, you know, our artisan cheese uh, platform, uh, cozy Shack, and That's on the dairy side. We own Purina. Mm-hmm. Animal nutrition. We have an ag tech platform. We're working with technology on the acre with farmers, um, uh, trying to do more with less because resources are declining. Right. Um, we have a sustained group um, that is working to make sure we have sustainable food production right with farmers. So the vision of the company, you know, we put a big statement out there about the mission, and it's feeding human progress. And I think it elevates the conversation. We have a very unique platform. We are literally farm to table, we are farm to fork. So we see the whole continuum. And my vision is to continue to invest in technology. You have to have agility, e-commerce and e-business, and technology is disrupting all industries, including agriculture. And there's an opportunity when you are an insight-driven, technology-focused company, as I believe Land O'Lakes is. And so I want to continue to grow.
2: If you're not growing in a great growth industry, you're falling behind. Land O'Lakes is a tech-focused company. It is a tech-focused company. I do not think most people would put those two words
1: in the same sentence. Right. I mean, it's a... it surprises people. They'll say, well, we didn't even know that you had um, answer plots. We have applied research plots for farmers. We have um, technology tools that, we, that uh, enable a farmer to understand you know, what uh, profitable production will look like and where the, they should make investments on their acre. I mean, they, I don't think folks understand all of what Land O'Lakes is about. We also have um, international businesses we've just started to invest in. Um, in South Africa, in Kenya. um, Um, On what? Growing what? Um, in uh, South Africa, it's more on a CPP, a crop protection business. Yeah. In uh, Kenya, it's animal feed huh. um, because, again, growing population, animal feed is going to be a, a significant wow. area.
2: I mean, you've said by 2050, you know, we'll need to feed 10 billion people, right? I mean, you're, it's projected that that's, that's the right. global population we'll see in 2050. That's 70% more food production than we see today. Less land, less water. Right. Um, I I think most people don't know. I didn't know until we started researching for this. Um, 4,000 farmers own the company. You answer to a 28-member board of farmers. Mm -hmm. What's that like? It's terrific.
1: It really is, and I'm not just saying that. Um, First of all, we are farmer-owned. The heritage of Land O'Lakes is farmer-owned, 1921. Upper Midwest dairy farmers trying to get power in the channel, wanting to get their sweet cream butter, which was the heritage of the dairy business into the uh, population centers in the east. Yeah. And they did that, and then they formed a supply co-op. We retain that farmer ownership. And you know, never has been has that been more relevant than right now, where consumers really want to understand where their food comes from,
2: how it's produced. It's we not just go- a Brooklyn thing. No, right? No, I mean, I <laughs> feel true. this living in Brooklyn, <laughs> exactly. right? It's we like gotta, if you, you didn't grow it on, on the roof of the restaurant, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to eat it. Exactly. But well, you're seeing this across America. We see it across America. And so
1: we're in this unique position because we literally do work where we're using the dairy production of our farmer, our dairy producers um, and our farmers uh, you know, all the way to the store shelf.
2: What's your biggest challenge right now as you take over at the company? Do you see, think that there are areas that, that Land Lakes has not focused enough on um, in terms of feeding the future, if you will?
1: I think one of the challenges we have... In, um, is that agriculture especially, and the businesses are in cycle, um, and the, uh, the cyclicality of agriculture means that you have times when commodity prices decline. Um, we certainly are in that well, especially period. Especially when you're in a, a trade war. That, that's a significant driver as well. Um, but there's length in global production. We've had probably five great growing seasons in a row, great weather. That means carryover stocks are heavy. And that was pressuring the market. That's an previously. issue when you've got bulk, when you have too much. That's well, that's right. And right now, with the tariff um, discussion in play, um, you know some of the biggest markets we ship to for the soybean farmers, for instance, is China. You put that very politically, Beth. I, I see you so with mean, the, <laughs> with
2: the tariff. To, I, what? what I'm saying is, I mean, look, the soybean farmers are mad. They're mad about these tariffs. Well, what, the
1: soybean farmers by the way, are, are supportive. It's interesting, and I'm with our growers uh, quite a bit. I would tell you that they are concerned because what they want to do, they don't want any government handouts, mm-hmm. they want market access, and that's critical for a grower. It's f- critical for a producer, to for China, a dairy for producer, yeah, and for a dairy producer to Mexico, for instance. Sure. Um, they are concerned because people take away your market when you step out of the market and um they already had challenges with the the price drops and then to lose that so i'll use an example you know silos are getting full uh, you know the, you can't get a, a a price a bid on your beans right now and we're in harvest because there's no outlet for them where are they going to ship right now um so they're concerned i i, I want to be i'm not trying to be careful i'm trying to be accurate yeah what i would tell you is that our farmer members are supportive in understanding that the administration is trying to do something on intellectual property theft. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that they have appropriate trade agreements, and I think that they're supportive. Now, I've had the good fortune to have a dinner I don't know, a month or two ago with Secretary Perdue. Okay, and, I, and he asked, and they are constantly asking. And I said, you know, I think that the producers and the growers are supportive, but speed is important here. We need to have some resolution. Um, and I would say as a business, as the CEO of a business, it's hard to understand how you invest when you don't know what the playing field is. Sure. Um, we're also trying to look for outlets. And then secondarily, when you have this global length uh-huh. and you have concern, and, and international markets are so important to farmers, Getting some clarity quickly will be important. We're going to come. We're into harvest. Like, what um, is
2: this playing field? What are we?
1: What are we doing? How do I think about investing my business? Can I get operating loans for if you're a grower? I mean, all of those things are important. Have you talked to the president about this? I have not, but we certainly have been with the administration mm-hmm. um, uh, and with the, the vice president and with the secretary, mm-hmm. um, and many of our members go in. And I think there's, you know, what I appreciate about the secretary, about Secretary Purdue and the vice president and others is that they have actually taken a direct interest. They will engage in a conversation about what this, what's, what's really happening um, in the country. You feel like you guys have a seat at the
2: table on this?
1: I feel like we're making the concerns known to the administration.
2: Is there, what is the number one thing that the administration as a whole could do right now to make that playing field clear?
1: Uh, Get trade agreements finished. I mean, again, you know, I think that they've come out with a a package um, trying to um... help with the losses that they know especially that the soybean uh, right, but you said the farmers
2: had, don't want these handouts. they don't
1: they understand that they're trying to get a short-term it's like a short-term band-aid, Band-Aid. But um, so the, what's the most important thing the administration can do? They can move with speed and resolve these trade issues um, and resolve these tariff issues. It's concerning. It's concerning for the growers. And that's what I would say. This seat at the table, whatever, we constantly and consistently through um, National Council of Pharma Cooperatives, National Milk Producers Federation, through the administration, through our own direct contacts, let the administration know that time is critical.
2: Yeah. And we need we need some resolution. Let's talk about another way in which you've made history, Beth. You are the first openly gay woman ever Mm -hmm. to run a Fortune 500 company. And you've said of that, if it gives someone encouragement and belief that they can be their authentic self and live their life, things are possible. And that's a terrific moment. What does making history in this way mean to you? You know,
1: I guess I've, I've reflected on that because my aspiration obviously was to be the CEO. I said that. Um, that the fact that, that, that um, I'm openly gay or that I have my spouse as a woman and I have these children is just part of my life. I didn't suddenly make an announcement. The announcement was that I was being named as CEO. The announcement was not around the other uh, parts of my life. Um, but obviously there was much um, recognition about this, so what does it mean? I, I, that, that statement that you read is how I feel about it. If I've heard from so many people, um, you know, and it's, it, it's very emotional. It's, you know, and it's not just the LGBTQ community. It is just people on their normal life saying, thank you for being on your authentic self and encouraging others to do What, you got do letters,
2: that. emails? I did,
1: I, many, um, you know, people have come up to me and said, thank you. Most importantly for me, especially in my role, what I'm um, excited about or uh, really um, focused on is my 10,000 employees, that they can feel like what they need to do is just bring their best selves to work Mm -hmm. and you will be valued based on your performance and um, that we're in this this thing together. So I think that's the way I think of it. I'm happy to have a moment where folks feel encouraged That is a wonderful thing.
2: This is a real issue, though, because the in terms of you talk about your employees and wanting everyone to feel like they can be their authentic self, both in their personal life and at work. The you know, the human rights campaign points out that nearly half of Americans are not out at work, Mm -hmm. meaning um, those in the LGBTQ community, half of them feel like they can't be their full self Mm -hmm. at work. Um, Do you see a role responsibility, perhaps? in helping move those numbers to a place where more people can feel comfortable being who they are at work?
1: Uh, You know, I'm going to go back to my comment. I I would say all of us, and I've said this in other conversations, it's interesting to me, every person, um, we're pointing to the LGBTQ community, every person has something. There's always something. Am I big enough for it? Am I good enough for it? Am I whole enough for it? And that's what when the when I've heard these communications to me, that's what it is. Thank you for showing me that I can be who who I really am and that Mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. Do I see myself as I think the best evidence for somebody is to simply perform and lead my life. And if that is is evidence to somebody that they can do that, that's a that's terrific.
2: Candidly, how did you feel when a number of the headlines and articles written about you when you were named CEO began with the line, Beth Ford has made history because she is the first openly gay woman to run a Fortune 500 company?
1: Um, You know, as I said, I was being announced as a CEO. Um, I have a responsibility to this company, to these members, and to my team. And I don't want to distract from that at all. Now... Of course, I understood when this announcement went out, though I wasn't touting that. I simply was saying what is the fact. Right. I Nowhere in, in the press release, of course, does it no, say that. No. It only says what every press release for every executive that goes out says. Talks about their family. I live with with Jill and with my three children, with Grace, Jack, and Wyatt, and our dog and our cat, and we just have the guinea pigs, um, and. Um, you know, so how did I feel about it? I felt, um, on the one hand, I felt terrific that folks took such confidence from that. That's a wonderful thing. Uh At the same time, I want to encourage everybody to say, okay, now we're, we're in the middle of running the business now. And so I want to step over and say, this is a terrific moment and I want to celebrate that. And I'm glad so many people are taking encouragement. Uh Most of my conversations now, um, they really are centered around the business, the business of the business, the challenges this business has, um, the challenge in the industry, and so what I would wish now is for us to push in um, into those discussions where mm-hmm. that's where my responsibility is.
2: One more point on this, and, and that is um, that when the announcement was made, the human rights campaign came out, and part of their statement reads, and this is what struck me, Beth, this is not a story of someone getting into the higher echelons of leadership and then coming out. This is someone walking into this role with her full self. And there is a difference. There's a difference if you're CEO and then you say, and by the way, I'm gay. Or if you've lived your full authentic life and self in corporate America as you have for a mm-hmm. long time and then become CEO. Mm-hmm.
1: I suppose that's true. Um, but, but here's what I would say as well to that. And I appreciated that because it is a meaningful moment because many young people today, you know, again, I'm 54. I've been on the journey. Not so old. Yeah, well, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm not 40. Um, You know, I've been on the journey. I've been in a situation where I understand um, that it's more difficult to be your authentic self at work, right? So, so, you know, you, when you say this, I think that the call-out was important for the young people who are coming up and saying, I can move through this. I want to be very careful to say, it, so it's it, 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 as though it's as, not as relevant if someone gets to a senior level and comes out. Because guess what? I, I, sometimes I know this is a uh, maybe a bad analogy, but it's like saying, um, well, she delivered those children. But did she have an epidural or not? Oh, I no. Mean, right? Don't take me back there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're still you're still doing that. You're still doing that. And um, whatever point in your life's journey where you say this is the appropriate time. And it's not just at work. You know, this is a whole life decision. Mm-hmm. This is family. These are friends. These are career. These are that's the way you live your whole life then that should be applauded as well. I don't want to think of it as it's only relevant in one instance. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to go back to my comment. I think that they call that out because there are many young people who are out living their life certainly differently than I did when I was in my twenties and thirties.
2: And I think that that's the important statement. Have you ever been discriminated against on your rise
1: up? I have not. I have not. I, I can legitimately say that I've been encouraged um, by both men and women um, in my career. I think that I always talk about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. I've had a lot of sponsorship. Um, Beth could do this, Beth could do that, that's terrific. I encourage people to sponsor their peers yeah. or somebody else, who, you know, because that's the way you facilitate career growth. I have not, I have made deliberate decisions about my career, however, with concern for my family. That it may be in a location that I f- would find less friendly to um, to my family. That's in, have you turned down jobs because of I have the turned city down, or state? Uh, I've I, many years ago because uh, I think it's changed probably, but I would say maybe hmm. 10 or 15 years ago, um, I was more concerned. I had a daughter, a little baby, a girl. Yeah. She was going to be going to school. Um, And I, you know, now since that time I had my sons, um, but I have made deliberate decisions for some places where I felt as though um, it may not be as friendly. I think you may have seen what, you know, one of them was saying "Well, you know, I said, I, I, the job looks great. You're a wonderful leader. I can't be here because I don't think this would be great. I have my spouse, a woman. I have a daughter. What job and what state? Uh, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to say I, I, um, and they said, but there are pockets in this mm-hmm. place that um, Interesting. that you should feel comfortable. Yeah. And I said, I don't need to live in a pocket. Wow. I don't need to live in a pocket. No, I'm not going to do that. Wow. I need to live a, a full yep. life. My family deserves that. Um, and that's that's not, that doesn't there work for go. me.
2: More from my interview with Lando Lake CEO Beth Ford after the break. So you are now CEO in the midst of the Me Too movement in America. How do you think about that and um, how has it impacted how you lead?
1: I don't know that there's a direct um, implication for how I lead I would say what you want to, uh, what I always want to think of um, is how are we treating our employees appropriately? Are we giving everybody the best opportunities? Um, are we showing up with the same values that we, we espouse? Uh, espouse? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and is that happening every day? And that's the way I think it's important to show respect for everybody, to show that everybody is of value. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way I think of it.
2: Confidence. You have said confidence is not a trite word and it is central to a successful career. It is. Where do you get your confidence and how do you deal with it when you don't feel confident? I think I think you I, you seem to be somebody who lives that. Yourself. I, no, I actually struggle with confidence a lot. And I think that um, I try. My husband is very confident and so he helps me. But I think when you're on television and you have all this hair and makeup done, you can look more confident than maybe you are so it's something i'm learning and i'm interested in how you have achieved it um, well a couple things i mean
1: i i've been i say on life's journey for a while you know i'm in my 50s now um, i wasn't always confident about everything um, and I'm certainly not always confident every minute. This is a different thing for me, right? Being in front of the camera. Yes, being is in front of the camera. Get used, Thanks for the scaffolding. Get, get used you know, to thanks it. Thanks for the, the stuff you're putting there to make me look I, reasonable. I call it the miracle. Exactly, room. I'm like, boy, that's I look fresh. <laughs> um, I think um, you get that from experience and you get that from models, role well, models. Yeah. So I think my mom, um, who I think is an cr- incredibly resilient and strong Woman encouraged that um, and and uh, evidenced it and demonstrated it for me in my life. My sisters, my friends, you know, yeah. many of whom you know, and uh, you know, I think that that's the way you build that. Um, what I also think one of the builders of confidence is is accepting when you have failure, and that you realize you get to the other side of that. All of us are imperfect. I've had imperfect moments. I have had um, failures in different yeah. you know, projects or teams or whatever. And um, and then having the confidence to step forward. I think when you don't do that, when you don't allow yourself to learn from it, mm-hmm. accept the uh, accountability and move forward, I think that impacts your confidence.
2: Your mom is still alive today. She is. What did she say when you became CEO?
1: I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You know, my mom... Um, Lisa, she's 81. She lives in Sioux City, my hometown. Um, she's she's does the Meals on Wheels for people. She's a golfer. She's uh, I mean she's a pretty robust uh, human being, and I'm so fortunate to have yeah. her with me. Um, she was she was just proud. I called her up. Um, I did a, uh, I used my iPad, the FaceTime. By the way, I was trying to make sure you I gotta I, get my got, mom got, uh, on that. <laughs> she
2: can't figure it out.
1: I uh, well <laughs> the one thing is yeah, I noticed that. I have to make sure that it's this angle versus this one because, you know, (laughs) I'm not always at the hair and makeup place. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, she said, "I'm, I'm just so very proud of you. And my siblings were so proud of you, my friends. I mean, these things that happen, it's really a team sport. Leadership is a team sport. Being in this position has has happened because of my family, my friends, my team, the members, the board. Um, I am so very fortunate um, and
2: uh, she was wow. she was pleased and I think you know it's really important to note our partners right Jill yes. for you I mean could you be here today no. without no. what she has done for you and your family no
1: I mean Jill is the greatest blessing of my life meeting her was my greatest gift except for my children well in addition to my addition. children, I'm not reading <laughs> um, Jill is an incredibly strong person. She's from the Midwest as well, Peoria. Mm -hmm. Um, She was one of the first handful of classes of folks at West Point, women at West Point. Very strong, jumped out of the airplanes, shot the stuff. She does that. She's a law school, went to Columbia Law, which is why I went to Columbia for my MBA. Is it? Oh, yes. I had met her, and she was going there, and I thought. Not a bad school. Not a bad school. I think I need to do that too. Um, she's she's terrific. She has achieved great success herself. Yeah. Um, she was you know, worked at Scaton Arps, she was the CEO of the fund of hedge funds. she stepped back into public service again, which is meaningful to her, meaningful to our family. She works with retiring teachers on their on long term pension. She does investments. Um, she sits on a number of boards, including the West Point Investment Committee and a variety of other boards. Um, she's incredibly strong. And so you go back to the how do you learn confidence? She's just
2: Mm-hmm. Solid. I mean, she's just solid. Do you think we, as a society, value enough the work that the parents that do the lion's share of the work at home do?
1: I don't. Uh, probably not. And I think it's the hardest and most. Uh, and, and there's and, no question. And there's there's no reward. You know, I can tell you a couple of th- times. Um, early when we had our children um, and, and, made, and she took a, a year off or something and we'd be at an event and they'd say, oh, what are you do? and I was working for a company and then they'd say, what are you doing? And she'd say, oh, I'm staying at home right now yeah. with our kids
2: and folks talk around you. Do you know that my mom recounts a story almost identical to that, that being married, my mom is a, a child psychologist. She got her doctorate when I was growing up. And my dad was a litigator and they'd be at parties and people would say to my dad, what do you do? Oh, I work at such and such law firm. And to her, she'd say, oh, well, I'm raising two kids. And they would they would literally look past her or walk away. That's right. And then what she would say, oh, by the way, I'm teaching a course at the University of Minnesota or whatever. Then they'd be interested again. And what they don't realize is my job at three o'clock in the afternoon when I'm home at home is so much harder than my job here (laughs) every morning. Um, And I just don't get why society doesn't value that work more. I don't know. I, I'm,
1: I'm hopeful that there's been more of an evolution as more men, um, and just like your husband, are yeah. taking up the the charge. Um, I do think that there's there's a. You know, the, it's not just, oh, are they paid for it? That's really not the point. It is, how are we viewing folks who've made a very deliberate decision, yeah. or sometimes not, to be at home yeah. with their children? That is sure. hard, it is, I, you know, sometimes it's
2: success because you got the laundry done and you got to have a shower oh, God. when you have got the young kids. Let's hope I can get that done tonight. Indra Nui has been very candid about this struggle, right? She led Pepsi up until recently. And she said a few years ago, I don't think women can have it all. We pretend we can have it all. We pretend we can. If you ask your daughters, she said, if you ask our daughters, I'm not sure they would say that I've been a good mom. I'm not sure. Motherhood, stay-at-home mothering was a full-time job. Being CEO of a company is three full-time jobs all rolled into one. How do you do it all justice? You can't. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Uh,
1: Well, I mean, I think a couple of things. Um, One is that um, you know when we judge ourselves, against perfection every day. There's no playbook for being a mom, no. right? So it's not like I'm gonna get a, a score on the test. You see how your children are growing up. You want them to be good, independent, kind people. That's what I want. I don't need for them to be the best of everything. I need for them to be involved in their community and, and good people. Um, I think that the, the uh, I try not to judge myself about whether I'm a good mom every day. Because hmm. some days there's a balance Depending challenge, right? yeah Some days I'm really busy and I'm on the road and, the, and I feel like I miss something. And then other days I'm really heavily involved. that That's the truth. I'm fortunate. You know, Jill has made a deliberate decision to go back into service, public service, and that has allowed her mm-hmm. to be a little bit more present with our children at a critical age. They are teenagers. Mm-hmm. You know, my oh. daughter, Grace, is a, a junior and my sons, Jack and Wyatt, are in eighth grade. It's important that um, we have... Our eyes on them and of making course. sure that they're um, in the right of course, moving in the right direction.
2: Uh, representation on boards. We've seen, uh, you know, what's happening in California right now. Some state, you know, the state legislature has passed um, passed legislation that would, if it is signed into law, mandate gender quotas on boards. I think it would be one, at least one woman on on the board of a publicly traded company. We've seen some countries in Europe um, attack this through. Quotas and through mandating to have female representation on boards. What do you think of that? Is that the way we need to address it? Or should corporate America just do it? Well, I would wish
1: for the just do it. I understand why there's these ideas of then we, you know, because we're not making enough progress, let's put a car um, government out there. involved. Yeah, let well. And that's I, the concern I always have with those situations yep. is now you're there. You're, I want to be judged for the capability I have, right? So now oh, you're there. Do you have this view that I, I was given this position because or was uh, had this position because I was the one woman that they wanted? Right. I don't think any of us wants that. That's a good point. I don't think any of us wants that. I think that the intention is right, that they're saying we need to be pretty intentional and deliberate mm-hmm. about making sure we make some progress here. We're not making quick enough progress. I'm not sure with that as the mechanism. I think what I would uh, respond best to and where we've moved diversity from 22%, for instance, to 44% women. In, at the company uh, at as the company in, in the And certainly in the areas that I started in in the supply chain and operating side, when I started as chief huh. supply chain officer, it was 22% women. And we got to be 44% women. And by the way, it's not enough to have them start as I've got this many managers. It's what's the pipeline movement. Right. And so we're very deliberate about that. But, but the reason that that occurred was not because... I was there, it was because what I insisted on was a diverse slate. That's what I want. I want a diverse slate and then I want the best candidate to be selected, male, female, minority, whatever, because that's what we want. And I think everybody
2: simply wants to have the opportunity. Let me ask you before we move on to to some final thoughts here. um, Milk. Milk is an important part of your business. And there is a whole lot of different kinds of milk out there now, especially in Brooklyn. Well, there's a whole lot of other kinds of I know this. what you're going to say. And the Dairy Association takes big issue with it being called milk. But if I go out to brunch and this happened to me, I was with someone who asked for camel milk. OK, there's oat, oat milk, there's pea milk, there's okay. almond milk. How, I mean, the global dairy alternatives market is expected to to surpass thirty four billion dollars. I read in twenty twenty four. How Listen, do you fight I'm, that? How do you
1: combat it? Do you welcome it? Listen, I'm for, I think we're for consumer choice. You know, we're for innovation. That's terrific. I think where we have a concern, and certainly I do um, as a leader of a uh, producer-owned, farmer-owned business, um, is the, the use of the term milk. There's a standard of identity um, that folks are supposed to be playing against. Um, it, you know, it's interesting to me many of these companies who have distribution in Europe and elsewhere, they don't call it milk. They call it almond drink or pea drink or something like that because they are held to that pea drink. I'm sure yeah. that sells really well. <laughs> that's a, <that's> a bummer. <laughs> I'm going to get that name wrong, but I'm saying that they 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 follow that standard of identity. And why is that? Well, we've done research. There's a halo effect because everybody understands the protein content and the good, um, uh, you know, the goodness of the dairy In cow milk. Yeah.
2: Well, and we think about the mustache and got milk, right? That's mm-hmm. what that word associates that's us it. to. Still, at least for me, that's right. I mean, I don't know about you, but growing up, seven siblings,
1: the milkman literally did come to my house. He would fill up the top row. I like you had a more idyllic <laughs> childhood than I. I don't remember that. But, you know, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> um, so I think that's what you what I would say. We're not not for consumer choice. We are for, however, appropriate um, Naming of those uh, items so as not to confuse the consumer. You don't think it should be called almond milk. I don't. I think it. Well, I think almond drink would be more appropriate. Um, I think as well that you know when when we think about the standards that dairy producers are held to mm-hmm. um, on the farm, and they're supportive of that. They understand why. To have um, this is not asking for new regulation. This is a standard of identity already in. Um, government, that, to have them say, by the way, why are we having to do the appropriate thing? Why, why are we not enforcing our own standard of identity um, from, the, from the government? And I, I think that uh, Commissioner Gottlieb has uh, listened At to that. At the FDA. Yeah. And, I, and so we'll see where that moves. Um, but that's why I say I, I wouldn't ever want to say we're not for choice because we are. Um, we think that the consumers just need to be, um, you know, to, to have a direct message of what the, they are actually consuming.
2: As you reflect on the, you know, the 54 years that got you here and got you to this role, who, uh, who's had the most profound impact on your life and journey?
1: Uh, my mom, as I mentioned, and Jill. Okay. Both of them, both of them are, you know, I, they're, they're very much that. And, and surrounded that, there would be my siblings, mm-hmm. you know, my friends, but, but most directly, it would be my mother and, um, and Jill. What is the best advice you've received? Well, I've said that my mother, if you want something, ask for it. um, Because, you know, I was fussing about something as a teenager, as (laughs) you do. And she was like, you know, do you think I'm a mind reader?
2: Right. Oh, there you go. And what about the worst advice? Um,
1: When I was younger, uh, I think I grew up, you know, in school back then. It was, you know, Miss Ford... Please sit down. Miss Ford, kind of, you know, you were rewarded for that really good behavior, the good girl. Behavior. No, it wasn't like I was some rebel, you know, like I needed to be a rebel. Dancing on the desk. Yes, no, that's not it. But I think um, not not embracing that, you know, you, might, you have a response that you want to provide and instead to be kind of shushed, not good, not good.
2: Not speaking out more. Yeah. Huh. All right, so before we go, quick lightning round. Uh-oh. Are you game? Okay, I guess so. Have you ever done what are one the of choices? these before? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is like one-word answers, quick answers. Best thing about Minnesota? The people. Finish this phrase, don't ya... Don't you know? Don't you know? Okay, well that's a Minnesota thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, Come on, now you grew up you know
1: that you work there. You have to know. Yeah, no, but no, you grew up it's okay. Like, it's like when you show up and your kids are like five. If they haven't if they haven't started skating then they can never be that's hockey players. that's true. I started
2: figure skating at yes. three. Walleye on a stick. Sick. Good. Okay, you no, almost no, got no. Okay. it. Minnesota Okay, best Minnesota State Fair Food oh gosh the
1: i think isn't it like a fried snicker or something i gotta i I gotta be honest with you every time i go with the kids that thing oh there is just that is a gut buster but (laughs) cheese curds
2: in my oh yeah oh and in my book
1: yeah and my daughter is such a big fan (laughs) of cheese curds she thinks that's a whole meal group i would tend to agree with her smart smart
2: lady uh iphone or blackberry uh iphone although i used to love that blackberry me too. I like the keys. keys yeah. Most important travel warrior item. You're on a lot of planes. I am. Um, well, I, I, obviously,
1: you can't be disconnected. So I'm always thinking, okay, I need a charger. Right. Bring two chargers. Okay.
2: <laughs> to a desert island, I would bring... Jill. There you go chocolate milk for breakfast? Seriously? Well, you know, it's Core
1: Power or Fair Life. Those are great um, products as well, but chocolate milk, I, I give it myself a little bit of and the protein content, the healthful uh, nature of it, and I do it right after I work out.
2: There so you go. That's like terrific. my daughter, by the way. All she wants is See? chocolate milk. She's not smart. regular
1: milk. No, I lo- well, I love regular milk, too, but why am I, why am I not going to go to the chocolate side? There you go,
2: Beth Ward. Thank you, and congratulations, Thank and you. good luck. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Carlo CNN.
0: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side, helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature, quiets their snores. Sleep number does that. Sleep better together.